Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every sketchy adoption process, adorkable man in a cape, ambitious reporter, and villainous real estate mogul is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Michael. And I'm Mandy. And today we are talking about the original two Superman movies, Superman 1978 and Superman 2 from 1981. Uh, and just to make it clear, we're doing the original theatrical cut of Superman 2, not the Richard Donner cut, which hopefully we'll talk about another time. So, Mandy. How long had it been since the last time you had watched either or both of these? I've got to think it's been at least 20 years. Uh, I don't think I've watched them since before I was 10. Uh, and honestly, the only scene I remembered in both of these movies is the kid falling into, uh, um, oh, gosh, Niagara Falls, probably because it was so traumatizing to me. Uh, like, And that's in Superman 2. <laughs> and it's not even that important a part. And that's like literally all I remembered from these movies. So it has to have been 20 years. Uh, how about you? Uh, as much as I like Superman, it had also been about that long since I'd watched them. Now, I remembered much more, but I think I've been avoiding them because I was afraid they wouldn't hold up in my estimation, uh, the way that lots of things that I watched when I was little and loved didn't hold up in my estimation, or haven't held up in my estimation. So, uh, yeah, there are lots of thoughts that go accordingly. <laughs> well, you know, as a kid, I was much more into Batman, so uh, Superman, I probably only watched the once. Uh but yeah, it was definitely interesting to watch these now, uh, both yeah. for good and for ill. So it was one of the most interesting things, and this is important, is how much the two movies blended together in my head. And then I realized, oh, there's a reason for that. <laughs> they're, they're made that way, aren't they? Because I was yeah. really shocked that um, they set up the first movie with Zod. Yeah, the very beginning basically involves Zod and the process of... Him be him and his hench people being put into the Phantom Zone, and that is actually because back when they started these, they decided that they were going to shoot these movies simultaneously. They were actually shot back-to-back uh, -back and simultaneously and as one set in order to save on production, and this was back in a day when uh, this was the beginning of the Warner Brothers DC publishing thing that we are all used to and take for granted now. For so, better or for worse. Right. And so this had something to do with leveraging one of them leveraging the contract with the other in order to get things done more cheaply or get a better deal out of it. Uh, I don't remember which direction that went in. There were also a bunch of really weird things about this. So back when they were doing it, a whole bunch of people, big shots, wanted to be the star. But of course, when they were working on casting, they wanted to get some other people like Marlon Brando, who is a big shot Oscar winner, you know. Uh, they wanted to get him to be Jarrell. And Marlon Brando required in his contract, he's kind of a prima donna about this whole thing, so he required in his contract <laughs> that he shoot all of his scenes in just 12 days. Oh my gosh. Yeah, even though the movie, they were shooting the two movies for 19 months, and Marlon Brando shot across 12 days. I feel like that movies. makes sense, because he's barely in Superman too. Right. Uh, so that makes a lot more sense to me now. He also refused to memorize his dialogue, <laughs> so they used cue cards for him. Wh what? What kind of actor is he? I he's an he's an Oscar winner who can call whatever he wants to. And it was after he was clinched though is when they got Gene Hackman, also an Oscar winner on the film for it too. But uh yeah, I, just before we actually get into the movie proper, a whole bunch of people wanted to be in this and when they started getting it, like they knew they wanted to take Superman seriously, which is kind of a good thing as I guess is probably why the movie is held in such high regard because they took it seriously from the start. Like um, George Lucas and Spielberg were both looked at as potential directors. And uh, I think Lucas was actually offered it, but turned it down because he was committed to star Wars. 
and uh, Spielberg was considered, and they just they waited because they wanted to see how Jaws did. But they waited until after it was successful to offer it to him, and then he was already committed to Close Encounters of the Third Kind for it. So, uh, I mean, I think uh, they, there's a whole bunch of famous people they considered for playing actual, you know, Superman, uh, like Muhammad Ali, Al Pacino, Clint Eastwood. Um, they were they offered it to Paul Newman and Burt Reynolds, and both of them turned it down. So, like a whole bunch of famous people were offered the role, and then Christopher Reeve just came up and surprised them, and they were really impressed with him. Uh, and then offered him nearly nothing because, you know, he wasn't an Oscar winner and they were offered millions. He got, I think, like a quarter of a million dollars for both films, which, you know, back then that's a good bit of money, but it's not what the others were offered, you know. Uh, and also, just as a final aside, little bit of trivia for that, because Christopher Reeve looks real good for, for this part, I feel yeah. like. And we'll talk about how well he does. And again, he did surprise them with how well he did in acting, but he didn't have the physique for it. And instead, uh, they actually asked him to wear a muscle suit, and he refused. So he ended up working out heavily and gained, like, 20-something pounds of muscle for the role, which is commitment, you know? So, fun times. Uh, but yeah, I think the big thing is that this movie is the beginning of superhero movies, right? Like, right. It, it's, it's the first, and he took it really... The, they took it seriously from the start. Uh, and I think that comes out at least in the first movie um but uh, maybe one of the first th things we see though is the uh the score right like we are exposed to the score right away and it is definitely a thing that sticks with people uh yeah yes john williams <laughs> i mean this music yes. so john williams is a kind of a big deal um but yeah it sets the tone sets it to be a really big sweeping thing we're exposed to space it's a long time before we get to earth in this right uh, it is. Well, there is a large portion of the movie that takes place on Krypton. And that, and that's something I noted. Uh, this is very strange, I feel like, uh, especially with modern eyes. But I, I don't think that that was even that normal back then to basically have like the first 20 minutes not even have your main character in it. Yeah. Uh, cause they're, they're just hanging out on Krypton, you know, they're dealing with Zod for a good portion of the time. And then they go to Jor-El, you know, standing up to the Kryptonians. Um, and then they go to putting, uh, a Superman in the pod. And then Superman actually spends like time in the pod on his way to earth. Yeah. Like a few uh, years, right? Yeah. Which I was shocked by. H how does this work? Is this pod in stasis or is it not? <laughs> you know, is he, is he aware? Is he just aging and unaware? It's, it's very confusing to me. So the impression I get is that he's being educated while in the pod and like his dad's Jorel's voiceover is actually stuff he's being taught about earth while he's in the pod and so he's aging but then one of the things and i specifically i have this uh in here marlon brando's voice while kal-el is in the pod mentions einstein's theory of relativity mm -hmm. and so i'm like wait but he how would he know who einstein was and the second movie involves more knowledge of earth so apparently they've just been monitoring earth for a while um but uh and they know about humans and you know human culture and so on but it it seems like he was preparing him for life on Earth by educating while he's in the pod, and then supposedly it's the theory of relativity that makes it so that he doesn't age nearly as fast as the time passing does. I, I was kind of shocked by the level of preparation Jor-El had in this version, uh, because it's not just, it didn't seem like the Jor-El we're seeing is just some sort of artificial intelligence representative in, of Jor-El that has all the information Jor-El has. It seems like Jor-El created education programs. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which means he was prepping for this for a while, I feel like. Yeah. Either that or he just spends all of his spare time making education programs about Earth for everyone. Yeah, so this this brings me to the topic of uh, Kryptonian logic and lack thereof. Makes sense. Uh, <laughs> because they have a whole bunch of this in this opening scene, this conversation. First off, they all pronounce Krypton real weird. They all say Krypton, and it just messes with me the entire they time anybody says it. They also all say Luthor, and that just drives me insane. Yes, I agree. Um, it's also it's amazing how much comic book lore they just load into this movie in the beginning. Like, you have Zod and the Council. There's this weird thing where, because Jor-El is the last one to cast judgment, like, Zod goes and yells at Jor-El. He's like, you alone hold responsibility because everybody else has done it, but it has to be a unanim- unanimous vote and therefore if i go to prison it's gonna be because you voted for me it's like no no, i'm pretty sure every single person on the council holds equal responsibility if they all vote for it and it requires unanimous decisions like weird weird thing to do but you know zod's also a crazy evil person um and then also the kryptonian council in general is just really stupid because they go and they're like no you're gonna incite violence or fear and therefore aren't allowed to talk about the impending death of our planet it's like, how can there possibly be a misunderstanding of the planet's impending death in less than 30 days? Like, when they even say, we agree with all the facts and just not your interpretation of it. They're like, that's a thing that one of them says to him. And it makes no sense at all. It actually, honestly, really reminded me of the climate change arguments we see now. Uh, oh, that's a fair point, actually. Not, not to be super political, but I see people who will be like, I agreed with these facts that you're listing, and I just don't agree with your saying that that means the climate's changing <laughs> and you're just like what maybe that's what this is a commentary on i i i don't know if this is because i don't know how aware they were of climate change in the 70s but that's why i didn't disbelieve that statement that said i found krypton's government to be strange that they would basically say to one of their own leaders you can't tell anybody else about your ideas as if the council always has to present a united front to the people. Yeah. Uh, that just seems like a strange method of government. And also they specifically say, basically you're not allowed to leave. It's like, well, if he's afraid that the planet's going to blow up, what do you care if he leaves? Like if you don't believe him, I don't understand. Like it didn't yeah. really make any sense that they, the council gave, you know, kal parents this, demand that they not leave like well and jor-el specifically says neither i nor my wife will leave krypton and i noted that because i was like he might as well be holding with his hand behind his back with his fingers crossed like he like he knows the gymnastics verbal gymnastics he's playing right there you know he he's sending kal-el away that i i don't think he was ever planning to leave krypton so yeah well i think that's why they would he felt like he wasn't going to be able to get out of it. So instead, he's like, let me say this explicitly so they hear what I'm saying and don't pay attention to me anymore so I can get my son off. But, like, it just doesn't make any sense that they would require this of him in the first place. The other thing that's bizarre about Krypton in this movie is all of the men wear the symbols of their family on their chest. None of the women do. None of them. Like, there's a woman council member and there's uh, Jor-El's wife. And neither of them wear the symbol. Instead, it's very important that they show off cleavage. And obviously, the symbol would conflict with the cleavage. Uh, but I just thought that was weird. Like, if this is, like, so important that everyone on your council has to represent, like, what house they are, why wouldn't the women be wearing their house sigil? Like, I, I, I presumably it's some other thing where it's more the men of the family hold uh, wear the, the crest or something. I mean, I'm not saying that it's 
any less stupid than you're saying it. But I just, maybe that's what they were thinking. Although the most obvious decision is exactly what you said, or most obvious reason is that, no, no, they need to show off cleavage. I also found it strange that all the costumes were these, this weird white that they then like, you know, highlighted uh, to make like bright and poppy. Uh, And then the only color we see is Superman's blanket. But the entire world of Krypton seems desolate and white, and everyone's either wearing white or black. But Superman has a red and blue blanket. Like, uh, it, where did, why is there no color anywhere else? Do only babies get color? Like, I, I don't understand. It's a very strange representation of Krypton. I don't want to live there. Uh, they also say, and this is again, very, very weird, but they, it says in this, um, when the parents are talking before he's, Kalala sent away, he says his dense molecular structure is what's going to make him strong. So not the sun in this context, um, which is, you know, fine. The original version of Superman, it was not anything like that. It, you know, it was just the fact that growing up on Krypton made him more dense than humans. And that's right. where his powers came. It was like John Carter. Yeah, exactly like that. Uh, so it was interesting, just a thing to note, but nothing, no real objection there. Um, What's interesting to that is it's directly conflict conflicted in Superman too. Yes, that that is a thing of note as well. Um, so I, yeah, it, it's conflicted later. Uh, there's a whole bunch of weirdness in Superman two that we'll get to. <laughs> uh, I imagine. Uh, one other thing though is, of course, there's the crystal spaceship that he sent away in. That thing is not aerodynamic in any way. <laughs> I noted that it looks like the New Year's Eve ball, <laughs> the countdown ball, uh, and it's extremely slow moving. Like it was, it moves as slow as the New Year's countdown ball. Yeah, at least in atmosphere, right? Yeah. So presumably, it just accelerates indefinitely. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but clearly doesn't work based on traditional propulsion. So not at all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think. Do you have anything else about Krypton itself to talk about? No, I just thought it was very strange stylistically to choose to spend so much of the movie on Krypton. Uh, that's uh, my so overall with this movie because it relates to this this movie is very slow superman one uh it is extremely slow it's like an hour of setup uh which is fine because it's like exploring the idea of like superman's life it's like trying to cram like smallville into you know the first hour of this movie right uh but it it is a very slow movie and sometimes i think in some sections it's too slow and the time on krypton is a time i would say I would have rejiggered this. I would not have had Zod in the beginning of this movie at all. I would have just put oh, that in no, the beginning yeah. of Superman 2. That doesn't even make sense. Why is yeah, it there? Zod being in the beginning makes it feel like a TV episode. Yes. Right? Instead of a movie. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really have any more thoughts on Krypton other than they need to get some color up in there. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, Superman comes to Earth and he crash lands and Ma and Pa Kent are right there. And, okay, Ma Kent is way too excited to adopt a strange alien child. Yeah, like yeah, she, she is, is way too willing to just steal this kid and be like, he's ours now. We found him. I didn't think finders keepers worked when it came to children. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Like Pa Kent, he makes more sense. Right. And then even like I can co- kind of see the point where it's like, OK, now he has superpowers. We can probably guess where this is going to go. Maybe we should keep him safe. Right. Like right. I could see that argument. So Pa Kent seems to be the sensible one here. Um, and this seems to be one of those. Situation. I mean, it's the 70s, so it's like, oh, women and their hormones and their desire for kids or something like that. That's generating the way they define these two and their character. Uh, it's a really weird thing. 
Yeah, it's it's almost like she's like, oh, I found a baby. Let's just keep them. Obviously, this is a sign. We've been trying to have a child. Like, what if he was just wandering in that in the in the field and wasn't actually related to the crashed meteorite? Well, wasn't he like inside it? Was when he, he crashed? Maybe. I don't remember. I, I feel Maybe. like he was. I mean, he was inside clearly. it. I don't know if they saw that, but yeah, you're right. It may have been clear he came from there, but still, I just thought Ma Kent was way too excited to take in an alien baby. I mean. <laughs> I'm not saying you can't be excited to take in an alien baby. I'm just saying your first thought maybe shouldn't be, oh, he's ours now. Mandy, I'm just going to say that my primary goal in life is to adopt all alien babies. It's <laughs> 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 so, valid. It's valid. I, I, I can't imagine why anybody would have any different priorities. So I was also really <laughs> surprised that the kid who plays baby Superman right there is fully nude. Yeah, I, I have that. I have totally naked Kal-El in my notes. That's yes. just a note. I was um, like, in a modern movie, they would not have done that. He would no. be wearing shorts or something. He also really takes to Martha super quickly and starts hugging her immediately. Yeah, it's like, very Wait, strange. He when did be, he learn this human Earth custom? He should be more just, skeptical of the strangers. Or just, I mean, I mean, we didn't get any indication that kryptonians hug the same way that we do well his mom held him when he was a baby so maybe he just wants to hold her maybe but it really seemed like he's like oh i love you immediately it's like oh that's a it's a really weird and quick response uh for because pretty sure if you go back i I rewatched that scene like twice just to make sure that i was seeing that right i was like no no that's that's the way that a kid learns to hug (laughs) you know but anyways really weird things uh then we we kind of get flash forward pretty quickly through his life to his teenage years yeah which i was surprised they used a different actor that it wasn't christopher reeve yeah uh i was like oh like christopher reeve's not in the first hour of this movie yeah um this the guy i don't remember his name right now but the guy who played teenage him actually like pulled a leg muscle at while uh, running for the train scene <laughs> um, his wig is really bad i have to yeah. say that is why didn't they just dye his hair that is the worst wig it is so obviously a wig it's a wig and his makeup uh he has a bunch of makeup on to make him look more like christopher reeve but it eh, it kind of works kind of does yeah it's it's the whole like if i didn't look at his face i thought it was fine (laughs) yeah uh but yeah we're exposed to the dynamics where he is totally a nerd and doesn't let him he doesn't play football and doesn't do stuff like that has a conversation with his dad about you know his powers and stuff. Well, I want to talk about that, but before we get to that, uh, cause there's a lot to be said in that conversation and in comparison with other movies, but okay. he runs by the train and he's seen and he waves and he doesn't care. He's running within full sight of a passenger train. He's not smart with his powers in the, as a teenager. And it, it gives some context to the conversation that he and his dad have later, Right, but it's just, it's a little bit jarring to see that. And then you have like a little girl and he's like waving to her. And yeah. it's a very weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the graphics for that fast running are also very bad. Uh, the special effects don't hold up especially well in general, I think, in uh, in this movie. But they were remarkable at the time. Right. So. All right. So going back to the Pa Kent uh, Clark conversation, uh, I really liked this conversation. It was... Uh, because it didn't erase the fact that Paul Kent is concerned for him and has been that he's basically going to be taken and experimented on. Right. Uh, and that uh, Superman, to a certain extent, needs to hide who he is. Uh, but Paul Kent's also like, but you are here for a reason. You've been given these powers for a reason. And basically, with great power comes great responsibility speech. Yeah. 
And to me, this was in direct contrast with the Paul Kent uh, conversation in Man of Steel. Yes. Uh, and it made the conversation in Man of Steel even worse for me. Like, I don't like that conversation to begin with. And now I'm just like, you suck even more, Paul Kent, in Man of Steel. Because this is the way where you express concern. Like, I am actually concerned for you. No, you cannot play football. Like, this This is why we have these rules, right? But there will tum- c- come a time, like, you are here to help. Yeah, Actual, not to absolutely. get glory on a football field, but to help people. Uh, whereas Paul Kent and Man of Steel is just like, no, you should hide your powers because your well-being is more important than anything else in the universe. Yeah, it, it's so there are a lot of Superman stories in which the conversation goes exactly like this. And it, that's what we don't need to beat up on Man of Steel too much because we've already done that before. Um, yes, that was done way back in episode four of this podcast. If you ever want to go back to that Uh you don't need to, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, like the part the, the problem is like, this has been, this conversation has been done correctly in so many different versions of Superman that to do it incorrectly is just a huge problem. Yeah. You know, it, it's like, it's not difficult to do correctly. Everybody knows how it should be had, but uh, it's not that hard. And it's been done over and over and over again. And there are all kinds of things that we would love for you to mix up about Superman, if you're going to do his origin story to like make it not feel old, this is not one of the parts that needs to be changed. No, it's like changing Uncle Ben, right? Like, why would you do that? Yeah, you, you don't change the fact that, oh, he learned the value of others from his dad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And his dad is a reasonable human being. So, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I definitely appreciated the conversation. I appreciated the tone it set. Uh, it made it feel... It made Pa Kent's death feel, you know... Like, oh, yes, I can see this setting things in motion. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I do enjoy the perspective, because we've talked about before how Paul Kent dies in different ways in every, or doesn't die uh, in, like, every version of uh, uh, Superman. I, I really enjoy the lesson of Clark can't save everyone yeah. that he gets here, though he kind of directly snubs that at the end of the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I do enjoy that no matter how powerful he is, Clark Kent cannot stop a heart attack. Uh, you know, like short of I doing CPR and hoping maybe that helps him get back. But if there's a blood clot in there, like what's that going to do? Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, he can't save everyone, though. Immediately after this, he abandons his mother. And I have opinions on that. <laughs> <laughs> like i understand he has this like supernatural call to this kryptonite he found or whatever it is it glows green it's very confusing yeah uh, it's, it's a kryptonian crystal but not kryptonite even though it glows green which really messed with me i i even wrote down the green information crystal apparently isn't radioactive sick inducing kryptonite right why would they choose green I, I i just don't understand why they chose that color they could have literally made it any other color but yeah. that's besides what he finds it so he's called to like go create his fortress of solitude fine but he's basically like, Ma Kent, I have to leave you now, even though your husband just died. Fine, whatever. Ma's like, I know you have to have your wings fly, you know, whatever. But he never goes back to her in the movies. We never yeah. see him come home. Like, and to me, all I needed was like a small scene of like some point, even like in Superman 2, of Superman taking Lois home to meet his mother, right? Uh, but he he never goes home to her. And that's very disconcerting to me. Yeah. Yeah, it really is just like he forgets about his life in Smallville. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the Fortress of Solitude. Yeah, he creates the Fortress of Solitude by just like tossing this crystal into the, you know, the North Pole, I guess. Like, <laughs> is it is it ever made clear 
why he goes to the North Pole? Like, does the crystal tell him to go? Is that a thing? I think maybe Superman 2 suggested that that's what happened. I uh, I put in my notes, the Fortress of Solitude is calling him in a supernatural manner. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Okay. So, no, it is not clear. Okay, cool. He's, like, I- called to this location to drop the crystal. Right. And then it's created as some weird crystal Kryptonian technology thing. I really want to know that what that would have looked like from space. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like, dude, did we have anything that happened to be looking at the North Pole at the right time? Because that would be really cool to see. Let's uh, see. This is 78. I mean, Skylab's up there, right? There is like astronauts possibly in space. Or no, he wouldn't have done that in 78. That would be that would have been earlier because... Okay, so here's a question I have. How long does Clark Kent send in the Fortress of Solitude? Because I feel like it indicates it might possibly be 12 years. You, that's a good point, actually. It does look like he goes in and comes out much, much later. Well, I feel like at some point, 12 years is said. And I was like, wait, so he spends 12 years in the Fortress of Solitude? And I wasn't sure if that was what they meant, because it's kind of like a passing line. But when he comes out, he's Christopher Reeves, and he has all these extra powers and extra knowledge. And I'm like, okay, so instead of going to college, Clark Kent goes to the Fortress of Solitude, and he just hangs out there for a really long time. Even if it's not 12 years, it's got to be a long time. Yeah, it really does. I I, I don't know. Uh, he was definitely in there for a while, or at least we're... The movie seems to indicate that, and if we're missing some other element, then the movie failed to tell us so. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, was, that's, a, that's an interesting thing. I was also really bothered that Jorel directly tells him he's forbidden to act in human history. Which makes no sense at all, because... Isn't his existence on Earth acting in human history? Like, unless he's going to stay on the Kent farm for his entire life and never interact with anyone else, he's interacting with human history. Well, in general... Clark's or Kal-El's parents say a whole bunch of things that seem to be nonsense, um, which again, we'll get into Superman 2 later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, <laughs> I have many issues with the, uh, basically, you just shouldn't listen to Kryptonians. They don't make any sense. Is kind of <laughs> what I got from these. <laughs> um, well, yeah, as I said before, lack of Kryptonian logic. Like they, they just, they don't really ever justify anything that they say. You just kind of make sweeping statements and then you do it. Uh, and I feel like it's the kind of thing where if they had had Marlon Brando for longer, maybe they would have come up with better lines and had him record those, but they didn't. So yeah, very weird to me. Um, we are introduced. Are we first introduced to him as Clark Kent as Christopher Reeve or as Superman? Superman. Because okay. I, I directly noted that, that uh, after the quote-unquote possibly 12 years where he's in like a Clark Kent cocoon, uh, he comes out Superman in the costume, standing on a ledge, and then he starts flying towards you and it's the music. It's the Superman okay. music. Cool. So so that opens up uh, this the flying thing was an incredible special effect at the time. Yeah. I don't mind the flying. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, it... it there are parts of it that are awkward, which we'll get to, but uh, but there are times, I mean, I believe one of the slogans advertising this movie was something like, you'll believe a man can fly. Um, like, that was how big they were banking on just the power of Superman and flight. Uh, really interesting tidbit, because obviously they were going to be using uh, blue screen for the special effects mm-hmm. for this. Uh, his suit was originally supposed to be darker than it was, but that made him clear on the screen so they lightened the uh they lightened and basically added a slight greenish hue to his uh costume so that it wouldn't conflict with the blue screen technology so fun little tidbit but i will say in my notes my first comment my first comment after superman flies and uh then it's like we go to the city immediately but my first comment after that is is ma kent even still alive 
Clark should have visited her first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really concerned for Ma Kent, is what I'm saying, throughout this movie, and the fact that he just abandons her. But uh, yeah. yeah, after this, he pretty much goes straight to becoming a reporter. And one of the things that this movie did not address at all is why he became a reporter. Yeah, it doesn't even pretend to say so. No, it's just like, oh, here's Clark Kent, a reporter, that we're all like, oh, that's Christopher Reeve. He must be Superman. or And we know Superman's Clark Kent. But it, to me, I'm like, they didn't even try to, like, was he interested in reporting? Does he like the news? Is it because he wants to be close to the news? Like, they don't even try. Yeah. Yeah, it's really a, a fascinating thing. And, of course, it plays to his benefit in that he is close to the news. But, again, it would have been really easy to just give that throwaway line. And I think part of it is... You know, this was the first exposure of people to superheroes in, like, big budget film form. Right. As far as I'm aware. And so their goal was just, like, ma- let's make sure they believe in Superman, not really focusing on the on the nuance of it as yeah. we get focused on now. What What's interesting is the reason Perry White gives for hiring Clark is that he's respectful and a good typist. <laughs> I've never seen a man type that fast in my life or something like that. It's right, just- which doesn't necessarily mean he should be a reporter like maybe typing things up for reporters because apparently lois lane can't type to save her life uh or at least so she can't i spell. love because <laughs> i didn't realize or i forgot uh i'm used to her not being able to spell in like the animated series which i spent much more time with than these films but this is the origin of that like i looked it up afterwards and this is the origin of lois lane not being able to spell um which is a trope that they use from time to time and other stuff all the time um, so I, I just, I enjoyed that. I, I don't know why I enjoy it. I guess it's just because it's a thing I got used to and I didn't know where it came from. So it's a cool I, little- what I do think is interesting is that even though I cannot remember the last time I saw these movies, right. And I could, could only remember one scene is that this Lois Lane is Lois Lane. Like as soon as she spoke, I was like, that is Lois Lane. I know that voice. Like <laughs> that's Lois Lane's voice, you know? And, and I find that very interesting that that like, permeated into my brain like it's it's in there so i take it then that you're a fan of margot kidder as superman or as lois rather i i'm not uh i'm not always a fan of the choice the writers make in regards to her i'm just gonna be honest she screams too much yes yes she does she's way too jumpy yeah um in in situations that don't make sense in superman one she screams like uh this is later but the whole helicopter sequence right Mm-hmm. I understand when it jolts and starts falling, you scream, right? But when you're just standing there and you're trying to reach forward, you don't just scream while you're doing that. And yet that's the choices they make for her, that she just like, she's trying to survive. She's trying to do something that should require attention and like focus, but instead she's just like screaming during it. And I'm like, that, I don't think that really works that way. <laughs> like, because when, when you're focusing, you, you, you tend to scream when you're scared, right? Like, not when you're like super focused. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It bothered me. But uh, uh, this was also the point where I was seeing Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent and as Superman that I also made the comment, and I made this on Twitter and you saw it, that uh, Brandon Roth actually looks a lot like Christopher Reeve. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and it's that's a note which at some point in the future we are, we'll cover that movie as well, but it's definitely a thing where the original two movies, these first two movies, were heavily the inspiration for Superman Returns, and, and you can see that come across. Like, he... Christopher Reeve does an amazing job of switching between Clark and Superman and making that a believable switch. Like, he's the same human being. Yes. It's the way he holds himself. Yeah, he just... And he does that, too. It's not just a different scene thing. Like, they do it on camera in front of you several times, where he'll go 
while talking to Lois, uh, you know, there's a point in the first movie where he's about to tell Lois who he is, and then he backs out of it. And he's, like, hunched yep. over as Clark, and then he stands upright. He's like, yep, there's the difference between Clark and Superman. I uh, completely noted that as well. And I was watching Supergirl earlier today and yesterday, uh, and she doesn't do that at all. Like, right. Supergirl just puts on glasses and pulls back her hair and likes to pretend she's a different person. And that's why, you know, that, and that's kind of the trope people think of when they think of Clark Kent and Superman. But he holds himself in a completely different way. Like mm-hmm. it like I when he did those moments where he was like trying to decide whether he was Clark or Superman, it it was beautiful. Like Yes, absolutely. That's why they chose Christopher Reeve to act, you know, for this. He is so good at it and and that is absolutely like, you know, they have the people have come up with so many different ways to explain away the glasses, like, oh, it's actually a psychic power that the glasses are just that he's subconsciously using that makes people not see the same person and then they're well, well and then people are like, Well, how does it work through TVs and stuff? You know? Yeah. It's like, no, I mean a big part of it is a lot of people you just don't notice. And yeah. he makes himself as Clark a person who people don't notice. And that's who he was for most of his life is he was this meek person who just kind of tried to stay under people's notice. And so why would anyone think, Oh, this guy is Superman. I do Um, think it's interesting. This movie directly brought up for me, the discussion of who is Kal-El is he Clark Kent or Superman. This movie, I feel like makes Clark Kent slightly more of a show than uh, I feel like some other interpretations do. Right. Uh, and make Superman to be the real uh, Kal-El. But on the other hand, I, I also think there there is a lot of, you can't even completely go that way because there's a lot of Clark Kent that is, you know, Kal-El. For lack, I'm just calling the human, Kal- not the human, gosh, right. the being Kal-El uh, and the two identities, Superman and Clark Kent. But uh, th- this movie made it seem like a lot of Clark Kent was a show. Like, because there were a lot of times that it, it wasn't just the, the clumsiness and the bumbling, which... Uh, you know, to me, a lot of Clark Kent's clumsiness, especially when he's younger, actually comes from him misunderstanding his own body and strength. Uh, so I always believed that Clark Kent was somewhat inherently clumsy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, in this one, it, it's very, it's, it's an interesting interpretation of, and that, that makes me question which one is which, and also makes me kind of wonder, there were times when I felt like he should have been more upset that Lois was in love with Superman and not Clark. Uh, yeah. But he wasn't at all. Like, Clark liked that she was in love with Superman, and there was no conflict in him over that. Yeah, and part of it is, I guess, again, he knows that's him, uh, right. and a real part of him. And so, I, I agree, though, it's a different balance than it is in other ones, but I appreciate that it's a different one and it's kind of, I mean, it's explained in its own way and I can buy it. Uh, I tend to prefer when Clark is a bit more of the person, but, or excuse, yeah, like when more of it is in Clark as actually in Clark, but, uh, but I didn't mind this at all. I I liked it. Um, One of the things though, although you, I mean, you think about his affection for, for Lois, like he would love Lois to tell, to tell Clark that, she likes him though. Like you can tell yes. that from both of these movies, like he would love that. And he is always disappointed when she says it's just, like just a friend. Uh, yeah, I, I liked that. Um, there's a point where he's flying with Lois and it's super awkward. <laughs> and there's like the, the, the weird poetry scene. You remember There's that? a lot of weird scenes in this. <laughs> Did those feel as weird to people in the seventies? They probably didn't. I mean, you know, like the, the big poetry scene where he's just like, I don't really understand how his superpower works because he's like holding her by the fingertips and her body is like, you know, 
yeah. she's basically holding the same pose as him. So, so it, I, I actually had a comment on that, and I was like, the only way this makes sense is if the theory that Superman has some sort of anti-gravity field around him that he can extend to others. Right. Uh, which also makes sense with his catching of the helicopter, because that's not how physics works. If he had caught the helicopter... Yeah, there's no leverage involved there, yeah. Right, it should fall a little bit further and then stop, because he grabbed it, right? Right. But instead, it stops instantly the moment it touches his hand. Uh, and if so... you look at just the parts that he holds on things that are falling, like, okay, even if he's strong enough to not need the leverage to be holding it from a good point of leverage, the objects themselves would snap right. if he caught them where they were. Oh, well, like, like the airplane. Yeah. He's like so, at the tip uh, of a wing. So I'm, I'm going to assume that this is one of the, ver- like, you know, sometimes people will talk about that too with his, uh, his costume. Like, how does his costume stand up to bullets just because he can? And people will be like, well, his, you know, it's not just physically his body, it's actually some kind of field around him that extends a few millimeters beyond his skin or something so so it extends to the clothing on him as well uh there's all kinds of explanations that i'm happy to just give them whatever they want for this but uh but i was surprised because i just didn't remember those. yeah the other thing that got me is right before that whole poetry mind reading scene whatever (laughs) uh is he has this whole interview with lois and he like tells her his weaknesses and limitations and she publishes it in an article and that's how lex Luthor knows superman can't see through lead yeah like i was like this is the most ridiculous thing you're reporters you should be smarter than this like in lois i understand her writing it all and publishing it whatever clark should be smarter than this like you don't just give out your weaknesses i mean he he doesn't know lex exists at this point he doesn't know there are supervillains, i guess but i don't know it seems naive and superman is good and but i don't know if he's always necessary to say like yeah why why would you bother saying that i don't well he said it because he couldn't tell the color of her underwear because she was standing behind a lead planter which i also uh, have questions on why the planter was made of lead but i guess it's the 70s so yeah maybe it's just like lead paint or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know um but, uh, oh, Lex Luthor, or Luthor. I was going to ask you, what do you think about this version of Lex? Uh, he's interesting. I, well, he's not, like, he claims he's super smart, but he's not, like, into technology, which I feel like is a 70s, like, interpretation of super smart, right? Like, nowadays, if we say someone's super smart, they have to be Tony Stark, right? Right. Granted, Tony Stark was invented in the 60s, but now technology and intelligence has become very wrapped up into each other, uh, which, to be fair, is not always true, right? There are some very smart people who can't work a computer. But I feel like Hollywood especially has kind of bought into this uh, modern interpretation of geniuses are geniuses because of their connection to technology and invention. But this is not that kind of Lex. He's super smart. And because he's super smart, he's, like, living underground because the land was cheaper. I, I don't know how you buy land underground, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I think the, the trope that they're going for here is that, or, and this is the late 70s. I mean, this is pre-internet and so on. I mean, it was really expensive to have, you know, encyclopedias back right. then, right? So I'm thinking that his brand of intelligence is the book knowledge, right? Like, right. I know a lot of things about a lot of things. And... That is, and I'm a person who's hungry for knowledge, and you know, and that's kind of the depiction of his intelligence over most people. But there's like never any real evidence given that he's the super clever villain. No, I, I, I just don't find him compelling. He, he just says it. Like yeah. at one point, the re- his rationale for why Superman must be an alien is because if any human's going to perpetrate the perfect hoax, it's going to be him. 
Right. And I was like, that is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, it, the logic is unsound. I also um, don't understand why he surrounds himself by idiots. Um, yeah. Not necessarily the girl, because I would say she's about normal. Uh, but the guy who's working for him is an idiot. He's like, a bumbling oaf, right? Yes. Like, really, yeah. I, I don't, like, does Lex just surround himself by people like that so he feels smarter? I, I suppose. I, I mean, he's just not compelling as a, I, I don't understand why. No, Zod is far more compelling. And that really. that's something I uh, uh, noted for Superman 2 is that I love the, the three uh, Kryptonians in Superman 2 so much. All three of them and their weird quirks, even the one who doesn't talk. Uh, but Lex, I'm just like... He thinks he's important. He thinks he's a supervillain, but he's not. Yeah, Lex is someone who wants to be taken seriously and probably shouldn't be, and just really hasn't earned the right to be taken seriously. Yeah. Uh, so, very, very odd uh, feelings about Lex. Um, I guess, like, yeah, t- the major conflict in the story is, well, what is it? Well, it doesn't come up to the last hour. That's right. True. And that's this whole thing that you have a two and a half hour movie. And, and that's why my complaint about this movie is that it's slow. It's not just that it's slow because movies can be slow and they can build, right? Look at Alien. That movie is incredibly slow, but it builds the whole time. And then when the momentum's finally at the height, it like punches you in the face. This movie's disjointed is what I feel like it is. We have the Kryptonian episode in the first 30 minutes. We have Clark growing up. Uh, we have. Uh, Superman becoming Superman, like, you know, this whole, like, montage of fighting crime. Uh, and then we have the Lex Luthor villain plot at the end. Uh, and that disjointedness, I think, hurts this movie. I, I think there's a way to tell that story interconnected, but they did not do a good job of weaving that interconnection. Um, but yeah, the conflict is suddenly Lex decides to blow up California and- Oh, the San Andreas fault, right. And then New Jersey, so that- <laughs> Clark can only pick one. And of course he has to pick New Jersey because he promises Miss uh Tessabacher. Yeah. That T- Tessmacher. Tessmacher that he'll save her mom first before he saves Lois and uh and I don't know what Lex is planning to get out of this. Is he is he thinking California will fall into oh. the ocean and then all the land he's bought in the desert will be worth a ton? Yeah, yeah, that's what he says. Is basically he bought all that land in the desert. He wants to sink California by blowing up the San Andreas Fault with just the right pressure, and so he has beachfront property. He has an obsession right. with beachfront property, which comes up again. Right, because it's all real estate with him. Right. Uh, but it's just a very strange plan that also makes the military guys look like idiots when they have this, like, they're, first off, they're, like, driving a nuclear bomb down the road. Okay. <laughs> and then they blow up this car, uh, Lex does, and has Miss Tessmacher lay out there in a very revealing dress, but in a way that makes it very clear she did not fall out of that car. Uh, and yet the military guys completely fall for it. And then their leader basically sexually assaults an unconscious woman while his officer's backs are turned because he's like, I'm going to massage her chest and, you know, give her CPR. But we all know the reason why he wants to do it is because she's a beautiful woman. And the fact that he makes everyone turn their backs means that he's basically molesting her. It was very gross. Yes. Just, and this is not a, oh, that's a product of their times. He's like, no, that's just gross. Like, I, no. Yeah. I don't understand. So it makes all these military guys look like idiots. Uh, and they just like steal the bomb. Well, they have to have two tries because, of course, they said the oaf to, you know, reset. I'm just going to say neither of these movies makes the military look. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, 
And so Lois and Jimmy are out investigating this sudden real estate buying up in the middle of nowhere, right? But for some reason, Jimmy is not with Lois taking pictures of the people she is interviewing. He is standing at the Hoover Dam taking pictures. Yeah, I I don't... It literally made no sense. I was like, aren't you a reporting, like, you're, you're like a photo journalist. Like, your job is to go with the reporter and take pictures for them. I yeah, don't, I don't understand. I don't I, uh. So Superman uh, has to choose between the two. He chooses New Jersey. He goes to save uh, Jimmy and Lois and apparently doesn't care about everyone else who's being blown up in California. Uh, he saves Jimmy. He can't save Lois. He's very upset. He physically goes under the San Andreas Fault and restores the fault. Yes. Which was very odd. Because, um, man, he moved real fast underground uh, <laughs> and moved a whole lot of Earth. But... Yeah, so then, you know, in this whole thing, though, Lois dies, right? Yes. She and... gets, like, she, well, I want to comment on this. Lois yeah. is in her car, which ran out of gas because she stopped at a gas station and all this stuff started happening and the gas station explodes. Uh, so she didn't get gas. She runs out of gas. She's sitting there at the bottom of a hill. She sees rocks coming towards her. She sees the ground tearing up coming towards her. But instead of getting out of her car and running, she just keeps trying to start it. Yeah. And because of that, her car falls into the fault line. Like, the, not the fault, but the crack in the ground. And she's stuck. Like, she's screwed at that point. There's nothing she can do. But I'm just like, why didn't she get out of the car? I have many questions, and that is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't have an answer for you. Uh, yeah, I and, and I also questioned why Clark didn't even attempt to do CPR in Lois. Like... Sure, she's not breathing when he pulls her out, but he doesn't know how long she's been not breathing. Like, she could have just stopped breathing, and he could have brought her back with CPR. Yeah. Assuming she wasn't, like, crushed to death, but I don't think she was. And then after this, he resolves the whole situation by turning back time, except I I, I honestly have no idea how this time travel mechanic works. It doesn't. Like, did he turn back the Earth or actual time? Turning back the Earth would not turn back time. I know not physically, but I mean, did he just turn back, like, the state of the Earth, like, assuming that whatever it is he physically does works? Did he turn back the state of the Earth, or did he travel back in time so he could redo things? I think he traveled back in time, because I don't think he affected his original timeline either, in the sense that the other Superman still stops the New Jersey bomb and fixes the fault. This Superman just has to save Lois and Jimmy. That's what I think, too. Or just Because Lois, that way, Jimmy everybody is saved. Right. Well, everybody saved because he saves, like, California. Right, right. right. But because, but he doesn't make a different choice. New Jersey, like, he doesn't go back. Right. And, like, become himself again, if that makes sense. That was my whole, that was, I was getting at, because if this is actually like a turning back time and redoing things, well, now you just let New Jersey die. And that doesn't fix anything either. So it was a very weird. Clark doesn't like New Jersey. Maybe that bomb actually hit Gotham and Clark's like, you know. Gotham. You know, maybe we're all better off. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he saves Lois through nefarious means, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a very... Well, and this goes, this is his, you know, going back to the idea that he can't save everyone, and him saying, no, I can. Right. Uh, and I feel like in this case, you know, if they had done the whole thing where maybe he goes back and visits his mom at some point, they could have had a thing where it's like, hey... Lex actually becomes a real, like, threatening criminal because he figures out who Clark is or something and threatens both his mom and Lois at the same time. And Clark has to make a decision and saves Lois. And then his mom 
dies, but in the time, she's like, hey, remember, you can't save everyone. You didn't mess up, or something like that. And that would have, this whole thing would have worked. All of a sudden done, yeah, the ending doesn't really make much sense. And Lex Um, is captured. Uh, and yeah. him and Otis go to jail, but apparently Miss Tessmacher doesn't have to go to jail. Because women don't have their own agency. And yeah, she was obviously can't... not involved. I mean, and she does have a weird moment where she kisses Superman and lets him go, but then in the next movie, she's, like, just back with Lex again, so. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what's weird to me is that it wasn't till this point that I realized Lex Luthor had been bald and wearing wigs the whole time. Yeah. Wow, that, uh, that kind of strikes a chord these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah it, it's a this is a strange movie i mean it's not it's not a bad movie i still yeah. think it's better than man of steel well that's a low bar but yes <laughs> uh and part of it too again we do have to think about what their initial mission was and their mission was to make people believe that superman was a thing right, right. like to people take superman seriously because it just hadn't been done and i think it does a pretty good job of that yeah i i think it's an enjoyable movie i think it's a good movie for kids Minus the one sexual assault scene, which, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's a little bit slow. I feel like if someone watches this for the first time as a teenager, they may get bored. Um, but I feel like when you're like seven or eight, you can better handle like slow movies without getting bored. Uh, and it suffers from the decision to be shot at the same time as Superman. Yes. Yes. Like, I, I ab- feel like this movie could have been tightened. But, you know, with what you said about Marlon Brando not willing to do anything uh it, it makes <laughs> yeah um okay so i mean that's really it for this movie because it carries right a- carries us right into superman 2 uh so interesting thing about this initially the same director was on both of them obviously because a lot of it was shot um and so about 75 percent of according to richard donner the s- director of superman 1 he had shot about 75 percent of what he wanted to do before he was taken off of superman 2 and it was finished by richard lester so the movie that we that you and i watched for this the theatrical one is very different from what was originally intended while the two movies were being shot at the same uh huh. so that's an interesting thing you and i will at some point probably we will cover the donner cut uh which is a thing that wasn't even possible until the 2000s for people to cut together, which apparently restores the original storyline to what it was supposed to be. Um, so, as such, I feel like a lot of Superman 2 just doesn't make sense. Um, I So I really liked Superman 2. I thought as an action movie, it held together a lot better than Superman 1. I agree. Uh, I liked all of the parts with the Kryptonians. Their storyline, I felt like, was very tight and plotted and made sense. It was the Clark Lois stuff. <laughs> Yeah, the lowest... That goes off the rails. (laughs) I agree. Um, There are a few things. I I just... I want to get into a couple of little nitpicks with the Kryptonians, but otherwise I really enjoyed them. Uh, The girl... uh, I can't think of her name, um, but she comments multiple times... Yes. uh, She comments multiple times on, like, uh, when they arrive on on the moon. So Zod comments on the astronaut being a fragile sort of life, but the Kryptonians didn't have superpowers until, like, now. Right. You know? And then Ursa comments a couple of times on Earth. They're like, they need machines to fly. It's like, and so did you until about 10 minutes ago in this movie. Yep. I don't understand. Like, why are you so... Uh, talking about how primitive their flying machines are or how primitive, primitive their weapons are, that's one thing. But talking about how, like, weak they are is like, there's no indication that you're stronger on your own planet. I mean, it right. feels like all these restrictions that humans have are restrictions to you normally. So Their superpowers are going to their head very fit- quickly. <laughs> yeah. Also, how do they talk in space 
I don't I, I don't understand that element of things. Like I'm assuming they just don't have to breathe, but how do they they communicate outwardly, like with the astronauts and each other on the moon? Well, you know, Kryptonians can read minds, so I see no reason why that doesn't mean they can't just be projecting directly into their other minds. Okay, and they, they just otherwise look like they're talking. Yeah, head cannon. All right, you know what? I buy it. Let's fine. So <laughs> I actually really enjoy that they gave some of these guys like weird little twit ticks. Like, yeah. Ursa takes everyone's badges. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. Like, I don't I, I know thought why. thought it was hilarious. <laughs> the second time, I just cracked up while I was watching it. I'm like, she's just, like, covered in badges by the end of it. She's wearing, <laughs> like, five. And I'm like, I, I really like that. Like, you know, because people do have weird things like that. And I feel like sometimes we get so wrapped, especially in modern movies, up in our villains that they have to be, like, scary and, you know, foreboding that they can't have, like, uh, they can't be humanized at all. Whereas these guys, they're bad, but Zod doesn't just indiscriminately kill the people in that town. He just wants them to kneel before him, right? He wants to be their leader. He's not just, like, murdering them. Uh, it's not till the, the army shows up to, like, kill Zod and them that Zod really does anything. It's like, the news crew is there, and Zod's just like, oh, you're talking to the whole Earth? I'd like to talk to the whole Earth, you know? Yeah. And I, it was really nice, and I love their costumes. I also like just little humorous touches, like uh, for a little bit, they thought it was Planet Houston. Oh, my um, my mom quotes that all the time. Yeah, I, I, that was fun. <laughs> it was a really cool uh, cool little touch. Um, uh, I want to say that, uh, again, getting back to what we talked about in Superman 1 with Kryptonians not having logic, um, we have the Kal-El's mom being the keeper of the archives and telling, you know, talking about the the Zod and everything like that. Um, when I guess when Lex sneaks into there. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It, it why did she tell Zod that? I mean, why did she tell Lex that? Cause he said something about villains and that came up somehow, but there's also no security at the fortress of solitude. Yeah. Uh, and then also like it says about the phantom zone and then it says just conveniently, but you know, it might be opened by a nuclear explosion in space. It's like, Oh, what, what's that? That happened five minutes ago in this movie. <laughs> that exact thing happened. Oh man, we're in trouble. Like it, it was a really weird, weird way to do that. It, like it could have been like you know, it's possible that something could happen to disturb the you know the entrance to the Phantom Zone or the token to the Phantom Zone and pop them out of it. But like it was hyper specific. All right, so let's uh, go back to this nuclear explosion in space because this nuclear yes. explosion comes from these French terrorists. Yes. Why are the French terrorists talking in English? Why are they talking in English? Did they realize there was no way they were going to be able to escape a nuclear blast? Like, if they put a nuclear bomb on the Eiffel Tower and their plan was just, like, walk away? I mean, their demands, what they were saying, I think, was they will give us our demands if we have the nuclear bomb. It's like, yeah, but but at some point you're not going to have the nuclear bomb. Right. Right? Like, I don't... (laughs) It it didn't make any sense to me, uh, that whole plan, uh, that... uh, Lois is there for, which brings up the whole uh, Lois is a Slytherin uh, <laughs> and uh, Clark Kent is a Hufflepuff. But that, you know, I think in some interpretations, there's a strong argument to be made that Lois is a Gryffindor. But this Lois is obsessed with getting like a Pulitzer Prize or a Nobel Prize. Oh, She's yeah, doing yeah. things that are stupid because she might get an award out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Like she, she's... She's a, an interesting character in this. Um, also, what's with the orange juice? <laughs> uh, it, it, it keeps her healthy. Yeah, keeps her healthy. And what's with the uh, hot dog obsession? That's what I really want to know. 
Yeah. Uh, well, so the the fun thing, of course, and obviously this is intentional on the film part, uh, the part of the filmmaker, when she's talking about the health of the vitamin C in the orange juice and doing a really bad job of juicing it, she's also smoking like cigarettes and putting it into a full ashtray. Uh, yeah. Which is like a fun little... Well, Clark had already, well, Superman, I guess, had already reprimanded her about smoking. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Clark and, he and said Lois... she didn't have cancer yet. Yeah. So. Yet being the uh, Clark and Lois in this movie are problematic. Very problematic. Uh, so so they go to Niagara Falls. To do a story on a honeymoon racket. Yes. What is a honeymoon racket? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Apparently, so They're my impression- They're overcharging young married people. Right. Which is like, would you- Would, would Perry White really send Lois and Clark as a couple to the news- To the- To this Head place cannon, to investigate this? Perry White- ships clark and lois uh, uh and is putting them into a fake married trope situation so that they'll get together see that fits to me in the uh in the lois and clark the tv show hey like if i imagine that perry white i could see him doing something like this <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so there's all these sequences at niagara falls where superman shows up to save a boy who is being stupid at niagara falls uh and falls into the falls superman shows up saves him and lois is suddenly like wait clark's not here wait superman is here and he happened to be here wait clark is superman <laughs> but then to test this she decides she's gonna jump into niagara river <laughs> she's really smart like that and then clark is not willing to admit he is superman at this point so he jeopardizes her life like what if she had not caught up to that to that uh uh branch he cut off and had not happened to go into that calm pool on the side like i imagine that he would have done it like he was just if it got to the point where he was desperate he would have but yeah i I, yeah and then the fact that this moment convinces her that he's not superman is also like yeah neither of them is really later he admits he's superman yeah because he fakes or fails to burn himself in a fire yeah. Um, that's a very weird, yeah. weird thing. Clark is not, he's not as bright as I would like him to be. No, no, <laughs> he's not. Uh, yeah. Um, and then after he admits he's Superman and she says, I'm in love with you. I wanted to like, I wanted Clark to be like, but who are you in love with? Superman or Clark? You know, because she doesn't say it till he reveals he's Superman. Which right. would be nice if he asks who she's in love with, and she's like, no, you don't understand. I had feelings for both of you, but wasn't willing to act on either of them. But now that I know you're the same person, like... Right. Like, if they had had an actual conversation about it, <laughs> that would have been nice. Yeah, and that would have helped later on with the plot point where, when he loses his powers and so on, and, you know... Right, because if he's just in love with her because he is super... If she's just in love with him because he is Superman... Then why would he give up his powers? Right. He, and he doesn't uh, even consult her. Oh, I have so many opinions. Yeah, uh, I know, I know. Right? He doesn't consult her. It's like, you do... Uh, that whole thing. So, let's let's get into that, right? As part of this, they don't know about Zod and all this ha- stuff happening. They don't get uh, news in the Fortress of Solitude. Right. So, they go to the Fortress, and... So, what I have written down, and I'm just going to read my note because this is what came out of my head and onto my fingers, is like, what fresh nonsense is this having to give up your powers? <laughs> I didn't, it literally, uh, I, uh, I put, um, why must Clark become a mortal to Mary Lois? That literally doesn't make any sense, mother. 
Yeah, no, I, I, and again, this goes back to the whole Kryptonian logic or lack there. I was like, why doesn't he just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to ignore you and not step into well, this chamber. And they gave anyway. no reason why he couldn't be with her. Right. And have his powers. It, it makes no sense at all. Um, it, it, they didn't even give a reason like, oh, because what you don't know is that you're going to live forever mm-hmm. and it'll hurt you, you know? No, they just are like, no, you have to give up your powers. You must. And he just does it. He doesn't, it doesn't even pain him. He doesn't even think about it. He doesn't even think about all the people who will die. Like, not even knowing about Zod, right? Like, what if Lex Luthor escapes again? What if there's someone else like Lex Luthor, you know? And the world thinks Superman exists. And the way the two of them talk about it, even afterwards when she's really happy about it, the two of them talk about it as if he made a sacrifice for himself. It's like, no, you just made a sacrifice for the world. Yeah. Like, the powers weren't about you. They were about what you could do for other people. Yeah. I, it, it's really weird. <laughs> like, the sacrifice, if you're going to talk about which one of these is a sacrifice, the sacrifice is giving up a relationship with her so that you can continue to serve the world. Right? Right. right. Like, and that should be an actual dilemma for Superman. Yeah. He, that's it's, why he's Superman. Very- um so that that really bugs me a lot um oh something else that bugs me that's silly yeah lois changes her clothes like three times in the fortress of solitude (laughs) she did not bring her suitcase to the fortress of solitude where are these clothes coming from uh kryptonian crystal technology Ah, just okay (laughs) um okay so speaking of things that are unexplained uh can we do a a kryptonian powers count can we like (laughs) So, uh, so we have the traditional, we have flight, strength, speed of some kind, uh, breath, laser eyes, um, x-ray vision, right? So that's like right. the normal stuff. So now we've added in like levitation fingers, levitation right? Fingers. Like, le- like levitation beams um, in their fight against Zod in the thing later. There's like teleportation. Yes, uh, that bothered me. I was like, when did, where did this come from? There's suddenly uh, like, actually... <laughs> Trevor had come, my husband had come down at that point and he was like, wait, they're teleporting? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. They haven't done that before this. Teleporting, projecting false images of themselves. Like, it's a very, very weird, I'm very confused by it. Um, I don't know why they felt the need to add in all these powers. Oh, 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 I forgot. My favorite special power from uh, the Kryptonians that we saw you know, the three bad guys use is a uh, magic architecture powers when they renovated Rushmore instantaneously. Ah, yes. Right. Like so. <laughs> my favorite one is when Superman tears off the S on his chest and throws it and it becomes <laughs> like a blanket that just temporarily puts the guy down for like two seconds. I, I was like, where did that come from? Like, I, yeah. I, oh, they made a up a whole different. bunch of powers for that fight alone. Yeah. It was very, very weird. Um, we talked about, oh, sorry, there was the time travel thing from the previous movie. Oh, mind um, wipes. Yeah, mind wipes are a thing. M- mind controlling kisses are what I have, but, uh. <laughs> it's very poison ivy of him. Yeah, very. Um, it's very, very all over the map in terms of powers without any explanation at all. Um, yeah, so that was all confusing. Um, and yet I still really enjoyed the conflict between the Kryptonians and Clark. Like, the fight that they have in. Uh, in Metropolis is really enjoyable. Yeah. It's like, oh, Clark puts a lot of effort into protecting the city. And then he uh, runs away. The, and it, when he runs away and it's not explained why, like, it, does he just know they're going to follow him? Right. It doesn't uh, explain why, but I assumed it's because he's taking the fight outside the city. Right. Uh, but and, I also in which case, wanna... he would have been like, hey, follow me if you really want to, like, 
if you really want to prove that you're stronger than me or something like that. I also want like, to comment in that fight in the city, there's something that they break that's then falling and it's going to like crush a woman with her baby. And the woman just stands there and screams, my baby. And yeah. I'm like, you could run away. There's a building right there. You know, just though, walk into I, the I building. Imagine somebody being just in shock and not really being able to mentally process what's going on. Yeah. Um, I'll give her the credit there. But uh, <laughs> but there are multiple times where Clark basically lets, or Superman lets himself get taken advantage of because he's protecting humans in the city, unlike another Superman movie we're both familiar with. Um, yeah. and- I also really liked the people rising up to try to protect Superman. Yeah, yeah, They're absolutely. like, no, he's ours. Like, what are you doing? We will protect him. Of course, they, they, they can't. They can't. But yeah, when they think Superman has been beaten, they're like, get them. And they rise against uh, Zod. And it's like, oh, this it, is It's important. a very Spider-Man 2 moment. And I really appreciate it. I, I did too. That, that really, because like, oh, Superman means something to these people. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that was really cool. Um, what else, what other interesting things? I mean, I know we've jumped all over the place. Uh, we've kind of ignored Lex because he's kind of useless. He is completely this. useless in this movie. So what, what does Lex do in this movie? One, he goes to the Fortress of Solitude and just coincidentally discovers Zod and them are a thing, even though he doesn't know they're on this planet. Right. Uh, he did develop the reason he found the Fortress of Solitude. So this is the first time we discover he's actually smart because he has the, in order to escape, he has some kind of weird hologram technology that ostensibly he's developed. And he also has developed, yeah, in jail. And then he ostensibly has, uh, he created some kind of alpha wave detector and so he can track Superman. And so then he knows that Superman like goes up to the North Pole frequently. Right. And Um, that's when he gets multiple signals. Right, and then he's been wondering where th- multiple signals have been coming from, and it turns out that's it. So, so that's cool. Um, but then he tries to align himself with Zod, and I and I do like that the Kryptonians are kind of just like you are a worthless human being. Yeah, um, uh, which is true. Uh, and um, but Lex is completely useless in this. Superman uses Lex against the Kryptonians uh, in the end and takes all their powers away via. And then he and Lois both become murderers. Okay, so but what? Where do they do? They just fall into the bottom of the Fortress of Solitude. Like, do they fall to their death? Is there water down there? I I don't know. Well, even if it is water, they don't have power, so they're going to freeze to death real fast. Yeah, I, like, I just like, am very confused as to what happened. I I think Superman and Lois Lane are murderers. <laughs> um, so what in, you're saying the is movie. there's precedent for Superman killing Zod in a movie? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> Uh, as as painful as it <laughs> it is, um, yeah, no, it, it was just a really weird hokey ending where they're just like, oh, down they go. I mean, I feel like Superman would have caught them. Um, yeah, yeah would have caught them weird... and put them in jail. Like, what harm are they going to cause people now? They're human. Yeah, also, and they don't even know how to function on this planet. Oh, speaking of which, Superman gets his powers removed. His mother is like, this is irreversible. Yeah. and then off screen, it's reversed. Yep. Yeah. No. Uh, no real explanation or anything like, you know, not even a conversation was like, okay, in order to do this, you're going to have to remove her memory of you or something, you know, yeah. like, like not even a, oh, she's, you're actually going to have to remove her memory and her feelings. So she's going to be like, wait, Clark, why are you so friendly with me? Like nothing right. like that. Like, it, well, it feels there's like- no saying that the memory stuff is directly related to him getting his powers back. Right. Right. I, I feel like a lot of this probably comes from the fact that the movie changed hands yeah. at some point. Uh, I do really ant- look forward to eventually kind of, you know, watching the other version and seeing how much, hopefully, it improves things. I, I hear it improves. Yeah. Um, can, can we talk about the mind wipe? 
Yeah, we can talk about the mind wipe. So he wipes Lois's mind because she's upset and dealing with the reality that Clark and Superman are the same person. And now she's not just like on a romantic honeymoon getaway. She's like back at work. And she's because trying she's to a woman who can't handle it, right? She's like, trying to process her emotions, which I, I think is fair. Like, oh, absolutely. You're allowed to process your emotions. Like, to me, it wasn't that she can't handle it. It's that maybe she needed a day to just think it through. And instead, he's just like, nope, she can't handle it. I'm going to erase her mind. Well, and, and that's what, so when I, what I was saying was I'm reading it as the interpretation that he has or that this action has whether it's by Superman or by the writers or whatever is this is the reaction of a hysterical woman who can't handle, you know, all this stuff. And therefore I need to save her by removing the conflict from her mind. Right. Yeah, and I, I, I really don't like it. At I all. hated that. It made uh, me so mad. This is Lois freaking lane. She can handle it. Yeah. She tried to take on some French terrorists by herself. So Superman two, it's still enjoyable because like you said, the action movie elements of it are enjoyable zod makes sense um heck the U- the american president makes sense in this oh right? i really loved the scene where it's the bodyguard who bows down but we don't necessarily know that uh i think we know that because i think we know what the president looks like but then right. zod's like no you couldn't be the leader because uh i forget what he says exactly though i know so, I uh, a leader of so many would not bow so quickly. Yes. And I thought that was a really nice line and, and kind of an acknowledgement that even though these are lesser people, uh, Zod still thinks a leader would be more upright than that, right? Right. And then, and then of course, what the president does is like, he does bow down because he needs to to save people, but he says so. He's yeah. like, I'm only going to do this if it will save people's lives. And he's still defiant while doing so, you know? And that's like, okay, cool. Like this is, it makes sense. So I, I agree. That was a really neat scene. I liked it a lot. Also, the, uh, the scene in the diner. Oh, yes. So many thoughts on this. Where Clark and uh, Lois are there. It's after he's depowered. He, this guy is, like, rude. And Clark's like, you want to take this outside? And the guy, like, hits him. And that's when Clark really comes to terms with the fact of, oh, he's not Superman anymore. But then Clark can't let it go. Yeah. It's like, since when does Clark or Superman have a temper? Yeah. Like, that, that doesn't fit his character at all. And even on top of that, after he gets his powers, I actually have my very, very last note in my notes is kind of petty of Superman to go back to the biner, di- back to the diner and beat up the bully. Yes. Like, that's not kind of petty, really petty. Like, like at least, you know, going back and intimidating him or something, you know, or, or being like, hey, you know, maybe he just goes in and sees him intimidate somebody else and goes as Superman and right. is like, like, watch yourself, don't do that. But, like, it, doing it, it as Clark. It was actually a set of scenes that really reminded me of Captain America more than Superman, uh, but not not even, like, a well-done Captain America scene. Because Captain America, before he was superpowered, is the kind of guy who would start a fight with someone twice his size uh, because they're a bully and then just never give up, right? Right. And then I could see him, after he got powered, going back and being like, who are you going to fight now? You know, <laughs> but Captain America is more flawed than Superman is. Uh, Captain yeah, America. Even, including in this, like if, even if you look at Superman one, right? Like Superman one's character is pretty well defined and pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I didn't mean that Captain America is a badly written character. I mean, he right. has like character flaws. Right. 
Whereas I feel like Superman is supposed to be a better person than us people. Uh, and it, that whole sequence just struck me as like, he should have been like, no, Lois, let's just go sit somewhere else. Like, not, you have to move for the lady, and then I'm going to try to fight you, and then when you beat me up, I'm going to keep trying to fight you, even though now Lois is going to have to take me to the hospital. I hope we have Yeah, like, it, it should have been like a, hey, excuse me, that's, you know, that's my seat. And the guy says no, he's like, all right, Lois, let's move and get out of his way. And then the guy starts a fight, right? Right, that like, would be that's different. That's but that would be Superman starts the fight and yeah boggles my mind yeah very very weird many many odd decisions there um I still liked it though like you said there like there was definitely I, I think really Zod is what carries it yes you know um, I I actually like this movie a lot better than Superman one because for me Superman one was too slow Superman one was slow in a way I didn't appreciate because it took a long time to get a lot of places while not actually exploring in depth Clark Kent's character and the choices he made. Uh, it was just kind of like highlights of Clark Kent's story in a weird way, even though it took forever. Um, cause I don't mind slow movies if they're a character exploration, but I feel like they skipped some critical scenes in Superman one to like, why does Clark become a reporter? Uh, Clark going back to his mom, things like that. Whereas this, the whole Zod half of this movie is, is a great movie. The, the whole Superman having to give up his power section is just ridiculous. But I actually really enjoy, as silly as it is, the parts with Clark and Lois in Niagara where he's still powered, right? Uh, yeah. And those kind of interactions. And it's just like Clark and Lois hanging out. You know, I really like that. Uh, it's just the whole nonsensical part in the middle where he had to depower himself for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, there are bits and pieces of the two movies that I like more. I think there are more individual parts of Superman two that I like more. Um, and I agree with all the weird pacing issues and stuff in Superman one, but in the end, the reason I like Superman, anything is Superman himself. And I feel like Superman one gets his character right. And so I'm going to like it more uh, because of it. So that, that is where my affection goes. And it's just like watching Christopher Reeve be Clark and be Superman, and do the transition between them is just, I, I love that a lot. And so, for me, I definitely like Superman 1 more, purely because of it. Uh, but, all in all, I mean, I enjoyed these. Uh, they are, I, I will probably rewatch them at some point again. I, I, I mean, I don't have any negative, like, actual negative emotion tied up to them. Like, a lots of objections that we, you and I both presented, but nothing really negative. Uh, I, I, like, I still think, all in all, they're decent movies. Yeah. And again, you keep in, t- keep in mind the time that they were made yeah. and that this was it back then. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed them. Um, I suppose in the future, um, cause we have Superman three and four, which from my understanding <laughs> is that they're not good at all. I don't even uh, remember ever seeing those movies. <laughs> I know that I have, but I could not tell you anything about them. I think I do know that Richard Pryor is in one of them. That's about all I know. Um, and, uh, so I'm not necessarily looking forward to those, but I kind of am at the same time. Uh, and then at some point, I will probably pair up Superman Returns and Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. Because Superman Returns was very much made as a continuity, uh, as a continuity, excuse me, words, continuation of the first two, these first two movies. Uh, and in it, they actually used some old footage of Jor-El and other things from the, from these movies that wasn't ever finished before. And, in the process, people were able to use that some of that footage to finish what was originally meant uh, for Superman two. So, uh, I, so I feel like it would probably be a rewatch of Superman two, except doing that version 
along with Superman Returns would probably be a pretty neat pairing for people. Yeah. But we're not yeah. rewatching Man of Steel because we don't hate ourselves. So go back and listen to episode four. Yeah, we're, we're already going to subject me to, uh, to what is it, whatever that movie is called. Batman, uh, Batman versus, versus Superman. That's, that's going to happen at some point. That's so. what we're building up to here, right? Like, Yeah, this whole thing is a build up to that. Uh, to yeah. the awfulness. I watched it. it, was, <laughs> it I'm not looking forward to watching it again. Yay. <laughs> Uh, right. I may I may end up rewatching it before Batman versus Superman. I don't know if I'm going to want to do those like a month apart or if I'm going to have to just give myself a couple of days to suffer. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Rewatching Man of Steel before Batman versus Superman might be too much. It, it maybe, might... maybe it'll make uh, make me like Man of Steel more in contrast. I re- I am hesitant to say that that will be the case. <laughs> I'm just listing all possibilities. <laughs> I'm not doc- discussing likelihood here. Um, uh. All right, so, uh, yeah, I guess, do we have anything else to note about these two? Uh, Superman is cool. Superman is cool. Uh, Lois Lane, uh, someone needs to give her a Pulitzer already, uh, so she can stop throwing herself headlong into crazy situations. Uh, Jimmy Olsen only gets paid $40 a week, I'm concerned. (laughs) Um, and, uh, Lex Luthor is just really not worth Superman's time. Yeah, that's all I got. Oh, and visit Ma Kent, Superman. Yes, Gosh, visit your mother. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on that note, uh, this was fun. Um, you can check out the website, triviallycrucial.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at TrivCrucial. You can follow Mandy on Twitter at Brown underscore Aja, which is A-J-A-H. And you can follow me at Ahim, which is A-U-H-I-M. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>